And I mean, like, everyone's trying to tell me their issues, and I'm like, bitch, can you just cue up my drum? Welcome back to Rebel Girls Book Club. I'm Harmony. And I'm Maggie, and we're here to take you on an intersectional feminist approach to books from all over the spectrum. Bestsellers, we've got you covered. That one book from English class you hated while you read it but you can't forget, we've got that too. Comic books, nonfiction, it's all right here. So grab your tea, grab your blanket, and let's get rebellious talking about your new favorite reads. Hello, I am Harmony. I'm Maggie. And we are here today with some special guests. Do you guys want to introduce yourselves? I'm Kayla Carnes. And I'm Megan Johns. <laughs> and we are uh, two-thirds of Recipes to Take Down the Patriarchy. Yeah. Our other sister, Leanne Blackwood, is not with us today. But she's here in spirit, and we're here to represent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fabulous. Can you tell us a little bit about how the three of you met? Yeah. So this is Megan speaking. Hopefully you'll be able to distinguish our voices mm-hmm. by the end of this. But the three of us met, well, actually, Kayla and I were friends first. We actually did a humanitarian project around the world. And I worked for that organization. And she was my intern for a very brief amount of time before she quit. <laughs> Not because of Megan. Not because of me. <laughs> Not because of me, but because, you can explain why you quit. Sure. But we became friends through it. Obviously, I feel like this is a um, sign of a good working relationship that if you can be friends at the end of it. But I eventually quit that job and started a podcast called Faith and Feminism and have been recording podcasts trying to reclaim feminism for the Christian faith because I just think the church is really lacking in that area. Um, And so Kayla and I happened to move to Athens, Georgia at the same time. Mm And the third member of our team, Leanne, who's not here, she was going to school for getting her master's in social work at University of Georgia. And I actually met her through my friend Courtney, and Leanne was a creative too. And so the three of us started a mastermind, and it slowly just evolved from there. And now it slowly evolved into just the three of us. Yes, exactly. (laughs) It was originally like six, seven. Six, seven people. And then, like, you know, like we were the last three standing, and we were like, well, you know, we're kind of meant to be. Yeah. So we were the last three standing. And one night I had um, a dream, literally a dream, that I should start a cookbook. Um, to call it recipes to take down the patriarchy. And so I woke up and I texted these two and it was, um, but then I left for South America for four months. And so it was a while before we could actually put feet to mm-hmm. the stream, but they totally hopped on board and uh, wow, I like could not do it without them. They have skills that I do not have and I need them for their skills because this would not be happening otherwise. And so the three of us, I think make a really good team. Yeah. Yeah, she said it. Um, I The way that I remember meeting Megan was, like she said, we both, whoo, I just yanked out her earphone. <laughs> we both went on a humanitarian trip for a little bit under a year. We went at two different times. Um, by the time that I left, Megan was working full-time at the organization that I was going through. And I was in charge of writing stories for the marketing department to represent the economic and cultural kind of temperature of everything that was happening abroad, everything that our squad was seeing and doing. And Megan was curating my stories and sharing them with our whole donor base and with everybody in the organization. And Megan really 
really stood out to me as somebody who really helped nurture my talent for writing and my creative talent. And after I left my time at the organization, she left shortly thereafter. And like she said, we both moved to the same city and we got married and we became friends. Not to rest- each other. Not to get not to each other. We're work wives. But we could if, you know, you know we, we wanted to. We advocate for that. Yeah, so. we're, totally, <laughs> we're totally pro-gay marriage, but uh, we did not marry each yeah. other. We did not marry each other, but we have two amazing husbands. And like she said, we both live in the same city. And a lot of our values, our beliefs, the things that we're passionate about align on a lot of the same tracks. For a while, we took two different tracks to get there. Um, Megan was working primarily with women. And my life was primarily centered around embodiment and physiology and helping people with mental illness recover and come home to their bodies through um, athleticism and yoga. And Megan and I have kind of mashed and then Leanne too as another component have meshed our three creative abilities into one vision which is to empower and enable women across the spectrum across the economic spectrum political spectrum religious spectrum to race. find race gender mm-hmm. everything to find their voice and to walk in the fullness of their potential and of who they are yeah and so Kayla is actually currently a yoga teacher and um Leanne is actually a social worker for mm-hmm. Gainesville, a school system in another city and works with um, kids at risk. And so, yeah, the three of us are all, you know, living that dream, chasing that dream, but we obviously really care about equality and women's rights and equality for all people, no matter what gender, race, ethnicity, um, socioeconomic area that you fall in. And so, Somehow, our, our the three of us really complement each other well in our gifts, and so um, also Kayla is the one of my favorite writers of all time. And so I kind of snagged her when I saw her writing when she was on the field. <laughs> she wrote an excellent piece. She actually worked with um, the Greek refugee crisis. So I don't know if you remember several years ago, a lot of Syrian refugees were fleeing to Greece, and they're being kept in camps. And I think they're still being kept in camps. Absolutely. The camp that we were working at, um, Moria and Sycamania in Lesbos, Greece, um, as of three days ago, the Moria camp was just shut down and is receiving no more government funding. And so my squad and I were there at the very beginning of when the camp was opened. And if you remember seeing the image of the little boy who washed up on the beach shore when the news broke on CNN, that was the camp that we were working at. Mm-hmm. And so I read that story and was so grateful that, you know, I just think this world needs to be more informed about stuff that's happening and care about refugees or um, people that are fleeing like really hard situations and open our arms to them. Mm -hmm. But I know we're probably getting off topic. So I'll let you ask us. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Thank you very much. Yeah. What are you guys drinking? Why don't you tell us? Is that alcoholic or is it virgin? Oh, it's definitely alcoholic. (laughs) And it is definitely 2.15 on a Wednesday afternoon. But it's a really nice day. It's a really nice day. And we work from home and we work hard. (laughs) Not like we need a reason. (laughs) (laughs) That's lovely. Yes. So it's great to hear you guys' story and about everything that you're doing for women. And you talked about how you're on a mission to empower women across the spectrum. Is mm-hmm. that just with the cookbook or is that through other projects as well? Oh my gosh. Well, for the two of us, um, the three of us, Leanne included, in this project, Recipes to Take Down the Patriarchy, our goal is to primarily empower women specifically. Um, but I would say it's it's very safe to say that the three of us have 
three different passions mm -hmm. um, aside from this project that we're all working on concurrently. For me personally, I have a huge passion for working with people with mental illness and body dysmorphia disorders. Um, I'm someone that struggled for a really long time with chronic depression and anxiety and post-traumatic stress syndrome. And I came to yoga and to fitness and embodiment as a way to cope with mental illness. And so I love working with people who are disenfranchised or people who are struggling with mental illness to help them come home to their body and to discover that their body is a safe place even if it's the place where they've primarily experienced trauma, helping people kind of reclaim their vessel. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is one of the most feminist things that somebody can do, living a fully embodied yes. life and owning yourself and loving yourself, not just taking a bubble bath, but um, doing the hard work of working through trauma, of showing up every day and of doing hard things. Yeah. And I, like I said, Kayla teaches yoga. I go to her yoga classes <laughs> and she actually um, does, um, is going to beginning in May to start doing uh, meditative practices for my podcast. So we'll have her as a regular, not guest, but she'll have her own little thing. Um, but so me, Megan, I also am focused on empowering women. I have a podcast called Faith and Feminism. I have my very first book deal. So my very first book is coming out February 5th. Which is pretty exciting. I'll be a published author. Um, my book will be in Barnes and Noble, so that's really exciting. Um, I don't think I knew that. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh. That's I know. Awesome. I'm a big deal. So I, I'm going to be. <laughs> I am. You are a big yeah. deal. Yeah, Damn I am it. a big deal. <laughs> so um, I primarily, I also am a staff writer for um, a platform called Azer Rising. So I'm a writer. I was trained in journalism, um, but primarily worked with. Um, just women in oppression. So I worked with women who had female genital mutilation, women that were sold in the sex trade, women that um, experienced domestic violence. Um, and so after working with these women uh, with a humanitarian organization that I mentioned for several years, I realized that the root of women's oppression was actually really simple and we're making it complicated. Mm -hmm. But the, really the root of in, uh, oppression is inequality. And so we need to address all of the um, cultural standards that we have that are slightly saying women are less, um, that women don't belong here. Women aren't as intelligent or they're not as driven or whatever. Or the political climate right now, of course, women are like, you know, we're like embodying our emotion, but in a healthy way. And I see these men throwing tantrums and yeah. So anyways, I think that women should be in every sphere and every facet of society and um, when we hear statistics about women being raped, one in five to one in six women is raped, one in three is sexually assaulted, and that's here in the United States. S only six out of a thousand rapists are actually served jail time. Six out of 1,000, that means 994 men walk free. And there's so many more stats I could give you. Um, we could talk about the healthcare system and how it's geared toward taking care of men at the at the cost of women. Um, so if we even just look at birth control versus like condoms, like women are enduring so much pain, blood clots, even like serious complications from birth control because mm -hmm. a man can't wrap it up and experience light, like slightly less pleasure. Like our whole society has been built for the pleasure of men at the cost of um, 
of women and it and contributes to all of these types of injustice. And so for me, um, because I come from a Christian background, I primarily am getting my Christian people to care about women's rights because they don't, because feminism has been called a bad word. And so I'm kind of educating my people. I'm getting them, you know, we're going to talk about women's rights here because um, it's important and it's needed. And so um, that comes out primarily obviously with the cookbook, Recipes to Take Down the Patriarchy. It comes down through my podcast, Faith and Feminism, and um, the different writing mediums that I do. And then my book that comes out. I don't know what it's going to be called. My publisher wants to change the name, but February 5th. <laughs> so, Working title. And then Leanne, because she's not here, we'll speak for her. Yeah. Um, so she's a Black woman. She talks a lot about being a Black woman and uh, not being represented in society and the effects that has on her and then her mental health and what it looks like to be raised in a primarily white space and to kind of go back to your heritage. And so um, she talks a lot about that. She has her own blog. She's a freelancer and she's also a social worker. Um, and she's an incredible and incredible um photographer. And so, and she's, she does all of our social media. So she's really good at um, anything visually appealing. She just kills. And so she, man, I feel like we're not doing her justice, but she can only do herself justice Mm -hmm. (laughs) at this point, but she's an incredible person, Leanne Blackwood. So the three of us are all working towards rights and justice, but it looks different for each of us. Absolutely. And I just want to say one more thing about Leanne, because she's not here to represent herself, but Leanne is as far as our our friendship, like our triad here of everything that we're working on, we could not do it without any member of our team. Like we each bring something really unique and special. But Leanne just brings such such a, a like a dynamic aspect to our our group and to our creativity. And she has mastered like boundaries. She's mastered boundaries and self-care and she holds her head high and just carries herself like royalty. And I think it's really special to find somebody that can embody the mission of something that they're fighting for literally like on their shoulders. And when you look at Leanne and when she walks into a room, so motivating Mm -hmm. and I'm really, really proud that she is a member of, mm-hmm. of our of our group and that she's our friend. And I wish that she was here so that people could experience her in the flesh, but she's not. So we're just going to talk the audio. Her up. On the audio. Exactly. <laughs> on the audio. Flesh on the audio. <laughs> yeah. But Leanne is awesome. Yeah. She sounds very awesome. You all are sound very badass. And she's oh. the one just for listeners who also runs the social media page, which mm-hmm. I think you guys did mention. But yeah. yeah see some of her work in relation to the cookbook there. Yeah, all of the social media you're seeing is her. And it's, it's all her doing. It's incredible. I don't even know. Like today, it was like a picture of mac and cheese that she took, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, not to sound cheesy. I'm like, I wouldn't even think of that. Like, yeah. but she had this incredible caption after it. Um, but she's, yeah, she's she's amazing. And we, um, we're actually really proud of her for getting rest today, though. Yeah, because- like the epitome of Leanne is the ability to say, you know what, this sounds like a great opportunity, but I'm going to look out for myself and know that by taking care of myself, I'm going to have more to give you later yeah. on. So you all go represent and you just debrief me at the end. So <laughs> Leanne Blackwood, everybody. Great. That's words to live by. We were just talking yeah. before we went on air about how important self rest is. So mm-hmm. thank you, Leanne. Mm-hmm for reaffirming that. (laughs) Um, Okay. Now, 
we also wanted to know, were you guys all avid cooks before you started this cookbook project? Or like, were some of you cooks? I'm pretty new to the cooking scene. Maggie's a little bit more experienced. I don't feel like there's a black and white way for me to answer that question. So like, sort of. I think for me, it would depend on who in my life you asked. And my mom would probably like point you to the time when I was 11 years old and very enthusiastically baked like a three layer chocolate cake and forgot the flour. <laughs> so, but then in my mind, like my husband thinks it's great because he doesn't have to eat out of a can anymore. And he thinks I'm the world's greatest cook. Aww. So <laughs> I think it's just the core of the cookbook and correct me if I'm wrong with the core of the cookbook is just encouraging women to try new things yes. to be creative and to not be afraid to fail. So yeah. I don't know that I'm particularly qualified in any way to say that I'm a chef or a cook, but I think that there needs to be a lot less women being afraid to try something and not to try something and being okay with not doing it perfectly. Mm -hmm. Like when men go to interviews, there's a statistic and I can't give you the exact numbers right now, but the majority of men will say that they can do something that the resume or that the, the job description requires of them if they have absolutely no experience doing it. And women will most of the time downplay even the strengths that they have, the qualifications that they have. They don't hype themselves up at all. So why can't I participate in something that I'm not particularly gifted at, but that brings me joy? Mm -hmm. And I'm a naturally competitive person. I want to win at everything. I want to be the best cook, but like, damn it, I don't need to be the best at everything. Sometimes you can just partake in something because it brings you joy. Mm -hmm. And so there are a lot of women that will cook from this cookbook and they will do it like Julia Child. Mm -hmm. That is not me. I will be the girl that nailed it. You know, like <laughs> I, I'm just doing it because I'm going to have fun. And there's a spectrum. There's space mm -hmm. for every single woman. There's a, there's space for a woman who knows how to cook Kraft mac and cheese. And there's space for a woman who knows how to make something from scratch. It's, it's not about the cooking. It's about the willingness to try something, be bad at it and have a damn good time anyway. Yeah. And to add to that, like when I think about the statistics or she didn't give a specific statistics, but and there's a lot of studies out there that show that men have just a natural confidence going into things um, and to interviews, which is great. I'm so glad they have confidence, but a lot of times <laughs> that confidence might not be based on um, skills or hard work. It's just like, I'm, I'm, things come easy to me because I'm a man. And I feel like women are, you know, they work really hard and we still constantly like want more of ourselves. We constantly underestimate ourselves and to give a small example of that, I was reading a study about that and my husband and I started like, I wouldn't, I don't even want to call it a volleyball league, but like pick up volleyball. We play once a week and we ask um, everyone to rate themselves like on a scale of one to five, just so we can Ooh. have even teams. <laughs> so, which obviously is a hard thing to do, but what I noticed is men would constantly rate themselves way better than they were. Like I'm a five and that you guys, they, they were not good. Like, <laughs> they were really bad. like I would give them a two or a three. And then we had a woman who was a volleyball coach who gave herself a three out of five. And, wow. and she was like, definitely our best player. And she gave herself a three. And then this guy, I'm not going to name names, but this guy um, gave himself a five and he would like set, set in quotation, set the ball like directly above him, like 20 feet in the air and be like, why didn't you guys get that? And it's like, do you know what a set is? Like, I don't think you understand. He doesn't even go here. <laughs> I know. But all of that to say, like, these are actually real hand, like firsthand experiences and women are constantly undervaluing themselves. 
And so for me, did I have experience? Um, I actually love baking. I don't know why. I I have a really good, which will be in the cookbook. Like I am known for my chocolate chip cookies. Like there's no better ones in the world. There, I can attest. I, <laughs> I am a biased party, but you will not find better chocolate I have chip never, cookies. I have never had better chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> Everyone I know who's eaten my cookies have never had a better chocolate chip cookie. And so I like to bake. I like to, it's a way for me to get my mind off things. Sometimes I want to call my, I don't really enjoy um, like cooking meals um, as much, but I, I like the, the ability to grow and to try something new and to be willing to fail. And something that I love about our cookbook is we were talking about this last night, but we're going to have the recipe. And at the end, we're going to have like a, an affirmation or motivation. It's like you book, you, you know, you bake the fucking cake. Like if you can bake a cake. What else can you do? Because <laughs> cakes are scary. They're so scary because you have to like get them out of the pan. You have to let them cool. And then you have to like wait for them to cool before you ice them. And then the icing is just hard to make in the first place. And I just made a cake yesterday and doing anything is yeah, harder than not right. doing anything yes. so you did a thing so you can do you something know? you can make a cake you can run for office like yes. yeah like you can make a fucking cake so and they said we were allowed to swear so i said that yeah um, <laughs> of this. but anyways we just want to affirm, if you can make a cake if you can make mac and cheese if you yes. can make a meal that you enjoy that other people can enjoy it. For me, that's an act of empowerment. It's mm-hmm. an act of resistance. It's something else we have in mind with this cookbook is obviously forever women have told their places in the kitchen. Like you belong in the kitchen. Why are women's feet short so or small <laughs> so they can stand closer to the stove? Like we've all heard those <laughs> terrible sexist jokes growing up. And it's a way of saying what you meant for my bondage, I'm using for my freedom. So you meant this to hurt me, but I'm reclaiming it and I'm flipping it around. And I'm saying, actually, it is empowering to create something, to make something new. And by the way, we're going to tear down the patriarchy as we do it. Mm -hmm. That's so badass. That's so badass. I'm so inspired now. I just made my first cake like two months ago and it was a terrifying experience. Yes, it's scary. (laughs) Making cakes is scary, but you can do it. (laughs) And so, you did it. You did it. I did do it. I'm really excited. So just for listeners, Maggie's a little quiet right now because her internet service is kind of sucky at the moment, but she may come back into the episode later. Yeah. So y'all can't see her beautiful face like we can. <laughs> you can't. It yeah. is beautiful. They know. They've seen They've seen her face a few times. <laughs> <laughs> it's a beautiful face. So... You guys kind of already touched about why it's important to reclaim recipe books as feminists in terms of like the ability to do something. But is there anything specific about cooking in general? I know that like I grew up not really ever wanting to cook or clean because it was something that was worse on my relatives. And because it felt like because I was a woman, I had to be really good at it. And it's just something that I'm I'm now coming to and being like, OK, I can like cook and clean. And this is like a good life skill. And this makes me happy. What are your thoughts on all of that? Did that inform the cookbook? Can you rephrase that question? So did domestic, I'm going to let you like reframe it. I want to make sure I understand. So in terms of having like a recipe book, is it important mm-hmm. to reclaim the act of cooking specifically? Mm. Not because it's a way to accomplish something, but because it's something that has been kind of a feminine art for so long. 
Right. So I want to start by saying that I don't think it's any woman's responsibility to prove to a man that what he's labeled her with in a negative way needs to be reclaimed. That's emotional labor that no woman should ever feel like they need to take on. Nobody should ever feel like they need to prove um, the opposite to somebody because they've been given a negative connotation. However, if that is something that you are interested in, and if you have an innate interest in any hobby, in any line of work, in any career, in any um, type of social justice, and that's something that has been told, you have been told that is less than, or that is beneath you, or is beneath your station, or is indicative of a, a weaker personality trait, then by all means, please feel free to express yourself in any way that represents the passion that you have for what that thing is. Don't ever let anybody hold you back from something because you love it and because they think that it's less than. So you, we don't owe it to men or to any other person to reclaim something just because that they've said that it's less than. It's not our job to go around picking up all of the pieces, metaphorically speaking. But at the same time, I know that I consider myself to be a really strong, independent person who wouldn't want my love for things in the kitchen to define me in a way that makes me appear to people as somebody that wants to be submissive. Mm -hmm. However, I can enjoy those things without being submissive. I can enjoy them for the sake of enjoying them. And it doesn't mean that they're bad or that they represent anything other than something that I love. So in a broader context, what the cookbook is essentially saying is, yes, cooking is one thing that we can reclaim, but really whatever that thing is for you, and only you know what that looks like. That's something that we want you to grab with both hands and just take a huge bite out of. It doesn't need to be something that is um, super masculine or, or even something that is super feminine, like cooking. Whatever that is for you, know that you are free to express yourself and live your truth in a whole and passionate way. Yeah. And, and again, I'm just going to kind of repeat what I said earlier. Is like, I feel like so many things, for example, there's a story of a woman, gosh, I think she's from Indiana maybe Ohio or one of those middle states, but she was actually the first woman mayor in the United States. And you know how she got there? Some guys entered her name as a, like, as a joke on the ballot, and then she won. So these guys were trying to make fun of her and say, oh, look at a woman is on the ballot, like la-di-da-di-da. And she's like, okay, I'm going to take what you meant for my harm, and I'm going to make it for something empowering as a statement for all women. And so for me, this cookbook is gosh, like, I don't want, like, I actually love baking. I don't want to be um, think, thought of as lesser for my baking. I, I want to take something that people, like, some people will say is my role, my only purpose, and reclaim that and make it something powerful and actually dismantle the patriarchal system that says that I'm lesser because I bake, or that it says that I'm lesser as a woman and that my the only thing I can do is bake because what do I do? I spent all day interviewing experts about feminism and I'm actually pretty confident I'm going back to my get my PhD to prove oh wow <laughs> yeah to get to prove how specifically when we talk about churches or faith systems how when they they're literally their teachings are that women are less than 
or need to be submissive, this has broad and reaching cultural Mm -hmm. ramifications that contribute to the injustice of women. And actually, our society doesn't thrive. There's tons of studies out there that show when you empower women, you empower community. When women are empowered, uh, a nation's GDP increases. When women are in leadership, there's more compassionate leadership. There are more looking out for people on the margins than when men are in leadership. And that's not to say that men aren't capable of being good leaders. It is saying that men have, our women have had to overcome more than men have. So we're naturally looking for those people on the margins because we know what it feels like. Yes. Um, and so there's so many studies to support this. But basically, when you empower women, you empower a country, you empower a city, you empower a neighborhood. And um, my goal is that as we make recipes, we reclaim something that was meant for our harm and make it for our good. We empower women. And if you can make a cake, you can run for office. If you can, you know, try a new mac and cheese recipe and enjoy it, you can just eat it and rest (laughs) because society tells women that they can't rest and, or that they can't have carbs and fat. Exactly. That you can't eat mac and cheese. Yes, you can, woman. Yes, you can. You eat those carbs. You eat that fat because even that is a as a way to empower yourself because mm-hmm. we've been told we can't. And so much of society is saying women can't, like women's pleasure is bad, yes. essentially. Like we need to diet. We need to, you know, not have sex. We're either a slut or we're a prude or we're like, there's just so many rules around everything we do. And so just making a mac and cheese and eating it because it tastes really good and because you're appreciating what your hands have made, that's empowerment. Um, but yeah, that is, so that is holy work. Mac yeah. and cheese, making mac and cheese can be holy work. Loving something and just enjoying it yes. for no reason, not sharing it, mm-hmm. not doing it for any specific purpose, just because it is good for you is holy work. Yeah. And we've been told as women that we're not allowed to care for ourselves, that we always need to be caring for others. And it's great that we care for others. And we're really freaking great at that. Like we are really good at caring for others, but we're allowed to care for ourselves as well. Mm-hmm. And so the cookbook is, I mean, it's all of those things. Like it's its an invitation to rest. It's an invitation to create. It's an invitation to reclaim harmful messages and make it empowering. You guys are clearly really passionate about everything that you're doing. And you have such a deep sense, I think, of the micro and macro story that you're trying to tell here for all women. A trend that I've noticed in food writing is kind of, especially with the rise of food blogs, the idea of personal storytelling and food writing being really intertwined. And I was wondering if that has influenced your process with the cookbook and if you're going to use any of any of essentially what you've just told us, all of this personal storytelling kind of throughout the cookbook. And if so, what ways we might mm, see that? That's a really good question. Yeah. Ooh. So one of the things that we love about this cookbook is so these all of these recipes are based off of famous women activists. And so I believe you guys made the biscuits and apple butter. And I think we made that in honor. I would have to look at my notes, but I'm pretty sure we made that in honor of either Sojourner. I think it was Sojourner, Sojourner Truth. Truth mm-hmm. Because... Yeah. yeah. So Sojourner Truth. Um, Love her. She's amazing. She's my favorite now. Um, who obviously was a woman who was, you know, born into slavery and mm-hmm. got educated and fought against the system um, and actually changed her name to Sojourner Truth. And so we are taking recipes. We look at the time. So sometimes when you're doing research, it's hard to find what their favorite food was. It's really hard because these people maybe lived hundreds of years ago. And so we take a recipe from that time frame and we make it. So biscuits and apple butter, that's a Southern thing. And so we are writing blurbs of each woman 
So, so far we have a ton of actually black women because we've been focusing on Black History Month. Mm -hmm. And we have Latina women and we've just gotten into just Americana in general. Um, But so each recipe is featuring a woman and we're telling her story because we, for me, at least as a person who is reclaiming feminism for my faith, I get some trolls. I get some really unkind things said to me. She's downplaying it a lot. (laughs) So... For me, reading what they overcame, the obstacles that they had, the unkind things that were said about them, I'm like, if they can persevere, then I can too. And so for us, the idea is to take the legacy that these women began, and there's so many of them, we can't even, like, doing research for them, there's way more women that are incredible than we can fit in this cookbook. But just focusing on a few of them, honestly, reading their stories, seeing what they overcame makes me feel like I can do it too. Like I'm not alone in this. Like women have been paving the way for other women for millennia. Like we have always been, you know, second on the totem pole or even worse in a lot of situations, we've been property. Like for example, black women were property up until 200 years ago. Um, If we look even further back to thousands of years ago, women were just property in general in many societies. And so, um, it's kind of like looking at what they overcame and what they were able to do, even in a really oppressive situation, seeing what we can do with it, too. And so, um, for example, there's Dolores Huerta. We made Mexican street corn in honor of her. Um, but we're also encouraging people who participate in this cookbook to, like, check out. So here's her website. Here's her fund. If you want to make a difference, Dolores Huerta is a Mexican-American activist who works specifically for the rights of farm workers. Um, and so she's been doing this work for 30, 40, 50 years <laughs> and has been doing incredible things, but no one hears of her or like, I didn't know of her until I started doing research because I was looking specifically for a Latina uh, feminist and discovered, wow, she's been doing this really hard work and hasn't been acknowledged for it. So we want to celebrate what she's overcome. We want to celebrate what she has done. We want to just memorialize her by creating a recipe that is familiar with her culture. Um, And so our goal is to be really intersectional with this cookbook for a long Mm -hmm. time. Obviously, people have known um, the harms of white feminism, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, We're talking about the voting rights that happened. Like, we suffragettes commend really, really hard for um, the vote for women to vote. (laughs) But Oftentimes, they neglected Black women. And so in the South, primarily, a lot of Black women were actually, because there are so many, if you look at the Constitution, they legally should have been allowed to vote. That was their right. Mm -hmm. But because of the laws that Southern states were passing, they would have um, all these extra hoops to jump through. For example, there's like a reading literacy test, which wasn't anything to do with reading, but these Black people had to jump through these hoops to get the right to vote. And it was suppressed heavily. And you know what? That right is still being heavily suppressed today here in Georgia. Um, if you look at our most recent election with Kemp versus Stacey Abrams, I have three friends of color who had their vote suppressed. Like they called mm. the hotline and their vote was not counted, even though they went to the thing. And so they had to call and make sure their vote was counted. So this this kind of a suppression is still happening today. And so as white women, and obviously Leanna's not a white woman, she's a black woman, but we want to be really intersectional with our feminism and make sure that not just white feminism is really and represented not just black feminism, but Native American and Latina and, um, 
you know, all of the different Asian American mm-hmm. feminism is represented because wow. there's definitely intersections to this. No, that's Absolutely. beautiful. That's amazing. That got into a lot of the questions yeah. that we had regarding how you were going to uh, represent these different <laughs> these different groups. So in terms of making a recipe, do you pick like a inspiring yeah. woman and then you, you look through their culture to see what sorts of recipes match up to their culture? Is that... Is that kind of how? So I'm going to let Megan answer that because we each, each, uh, all three of us kind of have a different role on the team. So I'm accounting and logistics. Leanne is graphics and social media. And Megan is specifically doing research and recipe curation. Yeah. So you can find me in a corner reading my mini books about inspiring women and crying because that literally <laughs> happens. Um so there's different ways that I do it. Sometimes um, I just think of food that I like, which is like, I really like enchiladas. And I know there's a lot of incredible Latina feminists. And so for those enchiladas, I actually thought of Frida Kahlo, mm-hmm. who was a, a Mexican painter, <laughs> yeah, who actually loved enchiladas too, I found through my research. And so sometimes I might go for the recipe that I think a lot of people will enjoy first. And I also, we're also trying to make these um, recipes flex. So for example, you can make meat enchiladas or we veggie. So it's going to be the same recipe, like, hey, no, for veggie people, this is how you can make this recipe veggie very Kayla is a vegetarian. Mm-hmm. And so we can make, we can flip that very easily um, to encompass both people who are meat eaters, vegans, what, gluten-free, whatever. We are having notes for these recipes because you can really take a recipe and do a lot with it. with just a little yeah. modification. Um, but for example, so that's how I came up with like Frida Kahlo. I mean, I, I knew I wanted to include her, but I also knew I loved enchiladas and they just married each other and it was great. For example, the mac and cheese, I mean, Everyone loves mac and cheese, but it's actually <laughs> Michelle Obama's favorite food. And so I, yeah, so I found a couple of recipes online and one was like a cauliflower mac and cheese. And I'm like, we're going to go the full Monty. Like we're, we're not doing this cauliflower stuff. We're going to like eat some mac and cheese. And so um, I don't have Michelle Obama's specific recipe for mac and cheese because I don't have her email or her phone number to ask her how she makes her mac and cheese. Maybe one day. <laughs> but I know there's many articles that talks about how she loves mac and cheese. And so I can celebrate that. And so in honor of Michelle Obama, we're, we're making a great mac and cheese. And so I will go both ways. I have a book um, called Little Leaders by Vashti Harrison. And it's Black Women History. <laughs> and it's meant for children. But I don't care because I'm learning so much. But so I like read through this book. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. For example, Mary Bowser. No one knows about her. But she's so cool. She was a she was born into slavery and got free and then pretended to be a slave to spy on the Confederate Army. So she would like pretend to be a slave to get their plans and give them to the Union Army. And no one knows about her. She was a spy who like willingly entered slavery again to make sure that the Union, like that slavery would be abolished. Like no one knows about her. <laughs> Mary Bowser. Look um, her up. Yeah, look her up. There's actually not a ton of information about her because she was a spy and apparently it's hard to get information on spies. But regardless, we made a sweet potato, potato casserole in her honor. So we just imagine her, you know, serving up Jefferson Davis and sweet potato casserole before she steals his um, battle plans. So like, there's just, yeah, there's a lot of imagination that goes into this. Of course, I don't know if Mary Bowser loves sweet potato casserole, but I know the South does love sweet potato casserole. And I know that's a recipe that are likely served in wealthy yes. households in the South. 
Yeah. If it doesn't represent the specific interests of the woman, it represents the time period that she mm-hmm. grew up in and things that were in existence around her and in her culture at the time. And also that sweet potato casserole was bomb. <laughs> it was so good. It sounds really <laughs> yummy. It was really good. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, didn't Michael say it was the best of his life? It was the best of his. We've had. Yes, he said it was. It the feels best like of his a life. lot of the meals are the best of our lives. Michael is also known to eat so much. Michael is my husband, by the way, for those who don't know. He is also known to eat so much. Hi, baby. That he will throw up and then keep eating. Oh, wow. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's that good. I don't know if that's like healthy. I don't know. That's a whole other discussion. Okay. Moving on. <laughs> yes, but I, I got very distracted by that last thing. So I'm just I'm just really picturing everything that that was just described. Um, we'll unpack that on like a future embodiment podcast. It'll probably launch in the next five years. Yeah, there you go. That's such a fantastic way to conduct your research. I'm a bit of a cook myself. So I'm really interested in your recipe development process. Would you mind mm. just kind of unpacking that for really quickly for me? Mm. Yes. So basically I research my ass off. Um, I look up, I, there's a ton of recipes out there. It's the internet. Obviously, there's a lot of things out there. So if you even like Google a mac and cheese recipe, you'll get like a billion hits. And so for what what I do is I read a lot of comments, a lot of comments on recipe blogs. And I'll take a recipe and I'll like read someone's comment and they'll be like, I did this or whatever. And a lot of recipes I make my own. For example, I just made a s'mores cake, which is basically, it was a chocolate cake with marshmallow fluff icing sprinkled with graham crackers. And um, like I took a chocolate bar and like smashed it and sprinkled that on there too. But basically when I looked up recipes for marshmallow fluff icing, I saw um, a lot of reviews that it was too sweet. So you take the marshmallow fluff. There's also basic buttercream icing recipes, but you take the marshmallow fluff, you add butter, you add vanilla, and you add confectioner sugar on top of that. And it just sounded really, really sweet. And so I took this base of what people said was good, thought that it sounded too sweet. And so I just kind of did my own thing. And what I did is I took marshmallow fluff and I blended it with butter and put a little bit of vanilla in there. I didn't add any sugar. Obviously, marshmallow fluff is sugar, so you don't need more of that. (laughs) And I just blended butter and uh, marshmallow fluff with vanilla, and I made my own icing completely. I've never read that anywhere, but I just kept tasting it until I thought it tasted good, Mm -hmm. um, got my proportions right, and so that's how I made the icing. Um, But some things will stick more to, like, for example, there's a chocolate cake recipe that I've been using for years um, for – bridal showers baby shower all this if it's your birthday i'm gonna make you this chocolate cake because it's really good and it's consistent and people are really impressed with it and they give me affirmation and i like affirmation um so this this, there's this chocolate cake recipe that i used as a base but i kind of just take it and twist it and so that s'mores cake we're going to dedicate probably to the woman who founded founded the girl scouts um because um girl scouts has actually been very empowering when you look at the number of women who are in the public sphere and making difference a lot of them are girl scouts so clearly this program is doing something right about getting young girls to believe in themselves mm-hmm. a lot of the recipe development is also really intuitive mm-hmm. so megan will do the bulk of the research on the front end and then when we get into the kitchen we taste everything as we make it and then we modify the recipe as we're cooking it to our taste and we keep track of the notes and that's what will eventually come out as the recipe that will be published in the cookbook yeah so we take a recipe that exists on the interwebs and we make it our own 
mm-hmm. essentially. So all three of you are physically doing the cooking together. Yeah, it's not yes. in separate houses. It's happening in the same kitchen. Yeah, every I, other Tuesday. It's a shit show. <laughs> That's putting it nicely. <laughs> every other Tuesday, so we meet every Tuesday. It's like it's a part-time job. So we meet every every Tuesday. We meet every other Tuesday. We cook. And every other Tuesday on cooking days, we do at least five recipes and one cocktail, including a dessert from the cookbook. And we make a full course meal. And then at the end of the night, after we fo- like cooked, cleaned, photographed everything, um, you know, gotten all of our documentation down, then we open our doors and we invite people in from the community, friends and family to come and enjoy a free meal. And we use that opportunity to educate everybody that's around the table on the advocacy and the social justice that was um, perpetuated by the women who have inspired the dishes that we're eating. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) For example, these caipirinhas, like this is a classic Brazilian recipe that we made in honor of Maria da Pinha. But um, traditionally, these are made with limes. And so basically, it's limes, a Brazilian liquor called cachaça and sugar. And that's basically all it is. But now we took mandarins and we placed that for the lime. So we're just taking, we're experimenting. Like, because we also feel like you don't have to follow the recipe exactly to make some good food. And we want to create confidence in that, that you can take yes. even with the recipe we have in our book and make it your own. Um, though you can test those recipes because they're very good. So you can make them as is for sure. But if you want to make it different, say you want to make a caipirina and you want to make it a little bit different, you could try grapefruit. Any kind of citrus, Mm. we've made the grapefruit ones, they're pretty good. But um, any kind of citrus that has, um, you know, at least a little bit of tartness, and then you adjust the sugar quantities based on how tart the fruit naturally is. So this one has less sugar than a lime would. Um, A grapefruit would have more sugar than a lime drink would, Um, just because we're basing it off of bitterness and tartness. Because, But it's in in essence, this is a caipirina because we're using a Brazilian liquor called cachaça. And my husband and I were in Brazil for a good amount of time in, is it November? No, you December. Were gone forever. I know, it was a while ago. <laughs> December. And we had caipirinas like every night because they're everywhere and they're so good and they're so easy to make. And so we came back. And so a lot of these recipes, especially ones from the Latin, because um, we're, you know, obviously featuring a lot of Latina feminists. I, we, the recipes we actually tried <laughs> while we were in South America. And so both of us, three, all three of us are pretty well traveled. Mm-hmm. And so we like, also like to be like one time in, you know, this country, I have this and it was amazing. <laughs> Let's try and like make something in the honor of our uh, husbands joke when we get together that the conversation will inevitably dissolve into one time when I was in Malaysia, <laughs> and they'll be like, one time I was at a Cracker Barrel, and I had a Bud Light. <laughs> but anyways, that's a really easy way you can make your recipe, a recipe your own. It's it's like you're allowed to experiment, and sometimes your experience will fail. Like, we've made a couple cocktails yeah. on our own, and it's like, wow, that wasn't good. But that's yeah. okay. Like, we can make another one. Part of the process. Be okay yeah. with failing. Yes. Yeah. Try something new. Good. We're going to be okay with failing from now on. I feel like yes. yeah. <laughs> I feel like we fail often, Mags. I fail oh, often all anyway. The <laughs> all the time. <laughs> She's like, speak for yourself, girl. <laughs> do, do we want to talk a little bit about the biscuits and apple butter recipe? Maggie and I both made this. Um, How'd it go? For me, it went well. It was delicious. We, we made it the day before we were recording, and Maggie's in the uh, Pacific Northwest, so she's on a different time zone than we are. And uh, 
I don't think, do, do you want to talk about your experience? <laughs> oh, well, it wasn't the recipe's fault. It was my fault because the number one fucking rule of cooking is like read your recipe beforehand. And I didn't. <laughs> that the, <laughs> the apple butter was going to take such a long time. So I started it at like 6 p.m. yesterday and then was kind of like, oh, fuck, I'm going to be up all night stirring this. So I had to kind of adjust oh a little my bit. God. And so my adjustments did not work out very well. And it just kind of overcooked while I was asleep. But I was able to salvage it and it turned out very well anyways. There was just kind of like this crust of burn on the outside of the crock pot that we had to ignore. But the center was fabulous. Uh, And the biscuits, I was actually super nervous about making the biscuits because they're one of my favorite foods and I just wanted them to like turn out right. And the recipe was really easy to follow and the method was super easy and they turned out really, really great. So did you use the wine glasses? Yeah. Maggie, did you use the wine glasses? I did indeed use the wine glasses. Yes. Yes. I have pastry cutters somewhere, but it wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth finding them. The wine glass was right there. Yeah. <laughs> and another thing I love about this cookbook is so we're going first. Like there's not a recipe in this cookbook we haven't made. So we discovered when making the biscuits. So I made the same mistakes with the apple butter. I was like, like they all came over and I'm like, shit, like I was supposed to start because sometimes I'll do <laughs> recipe prep before they come over because we have like five or six recipes to make. And I was like, Oh, damn it. And also, I didn't have enough apples. So I called Kayla and I was like, hey, can you pick up some apples? <laughs> Anyways, the point is, I did not, I did not prepare the way I ha- I should have. And thank God for an Instant Pot because the Instant Pot takes something that takes six to 12 hours and made it like 20 minutes. And so it came out great, but it was because we had an Instant Pot. So we're going to include notes. So example, like the biscuits, when we made the biscuits, like they were a little too dense. It's I'm, it's okay. If they're a little bit too dense. They were like hockey pucks. Okay. But <laughs> the recipe oh, was no. good. The problem is we needed the dough too much. Like with biscuits, you want to keep the butter. Um, you don't want it to like mix in. You want to keep it kind of flaky because um, otherwise the biscuits won't be flaky and they'll get dense. And so when you make biscuits, you basically just barely make it so that like the ingredients come together and stick together, but you don't want to knead the dough. Mm-hmm. Um, when you knead the dough, that's a yeast recipe and so we're making notes about our mistakes like when we made this we needed the dough too much and they were tasted really great but they were a little bit dense and so our advice here is to barely mix the dough just so it comes together especially with biscuits anything that's flaky um you can really mess up your batch if you over knead it and so we're also including the ways that we have messed up. Um, yeah. They hopefully people can learn from our mistakes. If you don't have an instant pot, start the apple butter like the day before. Yeah, she's she's a process. It's so delicious. Months before. Yes. I really love that idea, especially on the with your whole theme of the fact that it's okay to just do something for fun and because you enjoy it. The idea of including your mistakes as well. I feel like mm-hmm. that's. A, super helpful to to know what pitfalls that you might fall into as like a, an end user. But I find that to be a really empowering concept. Um, yeah. And I was wondering, I suppose then, what it's, how that mentality has, have you always kind of had this mentality about failure being okay? Or have you kind of come into it more as you've gotten older and, and as it relates to your feminism? <laughs> Absolutely not. 
We are raised in a culture (laughs) that failure is not okay. And actually, I think that keeps a lot of, again, we're going to talk about women again, because we have less confidence because we've been raised to have less confidence to begin with. And so we're more um, afraid of taking risks than perhaps our male counterparts, because that's how we've been raised to, to not take risks. And so I definitely had to learn how to become okay with failure. And it's mm-hmm. it's something that I'm still working on, um, being okay with things taking longer than I want them to take. Um, I think a lot of times we start something new and we want to be perfect right away. Like, all right, I'm a baker. I'm baking this cake and I want it to look like Great British Break Off like right away. And that's just not a thing that's going to happen. I've made, I don't know, maybe like, seven cakes by this point. And each time my cake looks better than it did before, because it's just hard to get the consistency right for the icing. Um, So I had to be okay with knowing that I'm not there yet and not taking it so hard when I make a mistake. So for example, these are the first time. So you can't, I keep on holding up these cocktails, like you can see them. But again, I'm going to refer to the Mandarin Caipirina. So you're the traditional caipirina recipe is limes, sugar, cachaca. That's it. You use about, um, I would say about a fifth a cup of sugar per cocktail, which is a lot of sugar. That's because limes are really bitter and the cachaca isn't sweet. Um, otherwise, you'd be just drinking like lime juice. And that's, you know, you need some sugar. Um, mandarins are tart, at least the ones we use are tart, but they have more naturally occurring sugar. And so we were trying to get the sugar proportions right. And we used way less sugar, but it still was a little too sweet. Um, And so I think what we fail to do in society is we take our failures just, okay, give up, you're done. We can learn from the mistakes. And so maybe I put too much sugar in this cachaca when I use mandarins, but next time I can try it without sugar. I can use a little less sugar. And you know what? It still takes, it tastes great. It tastes damn good. It's a little sweet there than I would like it, but yeah. I drank all of it. You can't even see, but I did. And so for me, it's like taking something, <laughs> failure is not a failure. It's it's a learning opportunity. It's, some, it's an mm-hmm. invitation to do better and to perfect, to really perfect um, a recipe. And so when we first started making caipirinhas, when we came home from Brazil, we used too little sugar for the lime recipe. And it's just about modifying and seeing the mistakes you made and adjusting and pivoting. So Kayla, what do you have to say about that? Yeah, I have a lot to say about that, actually. Um, Are you guys familiar with the Enneagram? Yeah. Oh, wow. That could be a whole other podcast. (laughs) Um, So the Enneagram is a personality type Mm -hmm. indicator. Um, It ranks people. It doesn't rank people, but um, basically it talks about how uh, what you were raised, how you were raised as a child impacts your your core desire and your core fear. And so I have a very strong leaning towards winning and not failing when I do things. And I account for a lot of my self-worth through productivity and output. And as far as this whole project has gone like this entire project innately is incredibly risky um I don't think I would have started it if I didn't have some hope that we wouldn't fail but there's it's just like it's just like life you never know quite how things are gonna go you can project you can plan you can prepare but in the end you really can only ever commit and jump and give it your damnedest And so with this entire project, it's really stretching to me to begin something and to not really have any control over how it's going to end. But by putting my faith in people and putting my faith in the goodness of the work that we're doing, 
by putting my faith in other people and my faith in the work of the women who have come before us, um, it makes me feel more confident in taking this risk and putting myself out there and saying, I don't totally know who's going to step up to the plate and say, I believe in this. I'm going to put skin in the game. I back what you're doing. All I can do is be me. All I can do is try and all we can really do is just keep showing up every single day and doing the work that we believe in and doing the work that we believe is good and doing it with all of our heart. And this has definitely been another chapter in a really long book of learning how to put myself out there without any guarantee and saying, I might fall on my face, but at the end of the day, I believe that this is a a worthy cause and this is a hill that I'm willing to die on. And isn't that all that love ever really is. It's a willingness to to risk everything. And I love this project. I love Megan. I love Leanne. I love women. And I love the community that we've built. And if that means that I look like an idiot in any capacity, I think it's safe to say that it's it's worth it. That's beautiful. That's very beautiful. I think that's Wow. I'm I really want to know what your Enneagram type is now. I'm a type four if you're curious. Ooh, girl. Okay. I'm a type four with a strong three wing. So that three wing is what I was talking about with the um not wanting to fail. So four, for those of you who don't know, bonus fact, fours are the rarest type on the Enneagram and they're defined by a need to be unique and individual and um highly creative. Um, very emotionally expressive and very uh, capable of sitting with pain and melancholy. So fours bring um, a dynamic aspect to a lot of their relationships that galvanizes people to express how they're feeling and create safe spaces. So I see you, girl. And I am a seven wing eight. Um, so sevens are the enthusiasts. They like fun and I love fun. <laughs> um, Megan I, is fun. I, yeah. Fun is Megan. <laughs> I like traveling a lot. I've been to 62 countries and that's a big thing. So, um, a great thing about sevens is they're fun. They like to try new things. They're always up for an adventure. Um, bad things about sevens is they do all these adventurous stuff without dealing with, uh, the stuff inside them. So instead of dealing with pain, I'm like, let's go on vacation or, <laughs> <laughs> like if I'm feeling a negative emotion, like, oh, let me watch The Office so I can laugh at people instead of dealing with this negative emotion that I'm feeling. So of course, each Enneagram has a high and a low. And then the eight wing is the challenger, which most people who only know me from a, I guess, social media podcast perspective, they think I'm an eight because um, eights are very, they're called the challenger. They're very justice oriented <laughs> and they're going to mm-hmm. challenge some shit. And that is, that is in me through and through. Um, but I guess when it comes down to it, what's really driving me um, is a really, like, I really just want a great vacation, but I also can't stand injustice. So like those two things drive me. <laughs> um, so this recipe book's perfect because I like good food. I like pleasure. I like enjoying cocktails. I like, um, I love doing research um, about different areas, different places I've been, different women. Um, but I also am really, really justice, and I'm going to stand up for the underdog. Um, and then Leanne is a four wing three as well. Mm-hmm. So whatever. Oh, is she really? Yeah. I knew she was a four. I didn't know. We're getting off on a rabbit trail here. Suffice to say, we have a lot of, um, it's really beautiful to kind of just bring it back around how each of us have different strengths and weaknesses that balance each other out. So Leanne and I bring a depth and a need for authenticity and integrity. And Megan elevates us to use our voices and to be strong and to not just dream about stuff like up in dreamland, but to actually put word to action. Yeah. 
And as I grow in my healthiness, I'm really good at being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in fact, I make a lot of diary entries on my Instagram. So if you want some <laughs> sappy stories, <laughs> there, they, there they are. So, But anyways, I, I think we all, obviously, every Enneagram type has areas to grow in. And um, uh, that's the path of being healthy. So as a seven, it's for me, it's not bypassing negative emotions. And for a four... What is your for four? It's um, not becoming an emotion, but by using the things that I see and feel as a catalyst for change instead of wallowing in it. Mm-hmm. So that's something that Leanne and I definitely bring. We're really good at feeling things out. Yeah. You are too, if you're also a four. Um, really good at feeling things out, but then where you get stuck is like, oh man, just like in like just overcome with all of this emotion, but then it's galvanizing it. It's doing something with it, taking that emotion and making it actionable, which is where Megan comes in and rounds us out as a team. And it's like, okay, you feel all this stuff. Great. Let's get shit done. Yeah. That's why I have harmony. Yeah. I'm the fire in our relationship. Mm-hmm. Maggie yep. is like the emotional compass. <laughs> there you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You need both. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all need each other. We, right. we need everything. And that's something else we want to really, like emphasize with the cookbook and so yesterday I was feeling so right now we're in the I just want to say the shitty part of like trying to get our kickstarted funded and Mm. god I hate asking for money it's like shoot me with a puck or I don't even know I don't that doesn't make sense I don't know what I'm saying the thing is I really don't like asking for money I like to be self-sufficient and so I Kayla's like I am calling people and just telling them I'm catching up with them and telling them why I'm so excited about this project and just connecting with them. And for me, and I'm like, I don't want to admit that I have any needs. Mm. <laughs> I don't want to admit that I can't do this on my own. Um, so last night we got together and we just came and processed all of these emotions that we were feeling and like, okay, what am I really afraid of here? And like asking myself that, cause I like to bypass negative <laughs> emotions <laughs> And really discovering, I just felt like, um, I mean, there's a lot of things I'm feeling, but one of the things I'm feeling is specifically from the context I come from, I feel like I'm breaking all the rules. And I am, but I'm breaking the rules for goodness and Mm -hmm. truth and justice. And if I don't believe in myself, people aren't going to believe in me. And so um, they kind of, last night, it was Kayla and Leanne who kind of carried me through that and forced me to sit with my negative emotions. (laughs) I didn't want to. I hate negative stuff but I you have to sit with them and deal with them what am I afraid of why is this so hard for me and if I can push through negative emotions my fears my insecurities all of this stuff then we can encourage women to do it in the same vein if I can text my friend be like hey have you seen this kickstarter like (laughs) I interested in like you know getting a cookbook that's really hard for me but if I can do that then you can run for office or you can quit your job or you can stand up for yourself in a family situation like Mm -hmm. if I can do the hard thing you can too sister and it's all about community and carrying each other where we're weak and that's what we really hope with the cookbook is even if we're not in that kitchen making it with you we want to encourage you to do the hard thing because you can do it Absolutely. And it's also about uh, connecting with each other. So I will ask for Mm -hmm. money for you uh, because the Kickstarter (laughs) will be linked in our show notes, just so you all know, you should definitely go donate. Mm -hmm. So before we uh, head off to like, let people know where they can follow the cookbook and where they can follow you guys and Leanne, 
I wanted to ask everyone what their favorite kitchen appliance is. I have like a really special wooden spoon Ooh. that I use for all of my special meals. <laughs> what is, what about you guys? Oh my gosh. That's a good question. That is a really good question. There is so much stuff in the kitchen. Yeah. Right. What's my favorite thing? <laughs> okay. Can I have... Can I have more than one favorite? Yes. I have a few things that I really <laughs> Okay, so we have a wooden cutting board, which obviously helps us cut all of our things, but it also is a lovely backdrop. So a lot of mm. these photos that we're taking, it has this nice, like, grainy wood te- texture in it. It serves as a really nice background. And you can serve, like, a cheese board or, like, you can serve anything on it. It's both a place you can cut stuff. And it's a place you can serve stuff. And so I feel like it's multifunctional. I really love it. And my next favorite thing would probably be my food processor because sometimes it's, you know, like you have an option to like put something in a bag and jump on it, or you can put it in your food processor and that makes it a lot easier to put it in your (laughs) food processor. We will always choose the food processor. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, the only thing you can't put in your food processor is like chocolate because it will like melt. But for example, like I said, I just recently made that s'mores cake. I can just put graham crackers in the food processor and it gets that next nice texture that I need instead of me having to like jump on a bag of graham crackers, which I've mm-hmm. done when I don't have <laughs> that, but it also, you know, that works as well. I think my favorite thing is um, a pie pan and my, the majority of the stuff that is in my kitchen, I'm a married woman now. So I inherited a few uh, doodads from my husband. Did I just say doodads? Yeah. <laughs> I also say fiddlesticks, unironically. I'm surprised it hasn't snuck in there. Um, I inherited a lot of uh, stuff from a a few things from my husband. But when I moved out, when I originally moved from Detroit to Athens, my mom took me through her entire kitchen a couple of nights before I left and filled up her entire kitchen table, literally piled it up with different things that she had that she wanted to give to me to start my life. And so for me, the creation of my own home began in my kitchen through everything that was gifted to me from the generosity of my mom, things that she's used, raising me with pie pans, bread pans, uh, different plates and spoons and forks, whisks, spatulas. And so when I take those things out in my kitchen now and I see them, I think of my mother and how she raised me and how I'm continuing this now with my family that I'll and eventually I'll have children and who knows, maybe I'll pass it on to them. And yesterday we cut our cake with her mother's wedding cake cutter. Oh. <laughs> so it came, in came full circle. Okay. Ivy, do you have a favorite kitchen appliance? I do. I'll be the bougie bitch. I don't think I could live without my KitchenAid. I really am attached to it. Yes, it, was a, it was a wedding gift and you know it. It's just so freaking useful. So I think that and a chef's yes. knife and you could pretty much like take over the world. <laughs> For sure. You said you wanted a kitchen. Oops, sorry, uh, yeah, kitchen I do right? want to. I'm actually, so right now, my, so another thing that's stressful in this it. time is uh, my partner and I, my husband and I are selling this house to move into another house with a bigger kitchen, but we literally don't have kitchen counter space right now. Um, it is where we're doing all the cooking, but there is not any room for a KitchenAid mixer and we don't have any storage in this house, which is another reason we're moving. But I've been wanting a KitchenAid mixer forever, but the only place we can keep it is the shed. <laughs> so 
I am really excited. It's like one of my first purchases when we have counter space um, to utilize because, and here, that's another thing. It doesn't matter how big your kitchen is. You can do these recipes. Like you can have a really mm-hmm. teeny ass kitchen. And there's three of us in this teeny ass kitchen and we're tripping over each other and we have to ask each other to move and all this stuff all the time, but you can do it. It's still doable. It's completely doable. Yeah. Aww, lovely. All right. So where do we follow this project? Mm. So right now for the next 40 Seven days. So our Kickstarter is going to run from now. Today's March 10th, I believe, until April 28th. So if people are wanting to get a cookbook for themselves and support our project in any way financially, there are at least 10 different financial tiers that you can pledge to and financially back recipes to take down the uh, the patriarchy. Recipes to take down the Kickstarter. yeah, yeah, you can go ahead and plug our social medias. Yeah, well, so there's, I just want to talk a little bit more about the tiers. Mm-hmm. So $50 will get you a cookbook and some other shit. But we also have a feminist apron, which we all have. They're cherry red aprons, and they say feminist across them. And so that's one of our tiers as well. Um, so if you want a feminist apron, which we all have, um, there's also that option. Mm-hmm. But you can also follow us uh, simply at... Um, on the Instagram, the handle is recipes to take down the patriarchy, no spaces. And the same thing for Facebook. And so um, Leanne is seriously killing that Instagram game. I'm amazed. I'm so amazed by her. Um, so even if, you know, you're not into cooking, there's a lot of really good material about intersectionality. So much material about intersectionality. Um, there's quizzes, which sometimes, sometimes I do well. Sometimes I fail, which is stupid because I'm researching these women. But I'm like, I don't, Leanne, how did you find this out? I don't, I don't know how I'm supposed to know this. But we're learning and growing along with everybody that's following us. Yeah. Right. So there's quizzes about certain activists in the past, which are just super fun. It's really interactive. Um, But yeah, so recipes to take down the patriarchy, all one word. We also have a website, recipes to take down the patriarchy.com. We claimed all that shit. I did it after I had the dream. I'm like, this is not going to happen for a while, but I'm I'm claiming it first. So got all the domains. Yeah, all the domains. (laughs) I got the Instagram, I got the Twitter, we got all of it. Um, We are not on Twitter. Yeah. We are on Twitter. We're not funny yet. <laughs> we might be funny. <laughs> Story of our life. <laughs> and if you follow us on any of our social media accounts, you will inevitably see the tags for our personal pages. <laughs> so we tag ourselves in everything. Come be friends with us. Um, it's really what you see is what you get. Mm-hmm. I think with me, Megan, and Leanne, we tend to communicate on social media Um in a little bit more longer form. So we'll, we will share a lot of the highs, but also a lot of the lows. Yeah. So what you'll see on recipes is a really good indication of who we each are individually mm-hmm. as women. We want to talk about the hard shit and we also want to celebrate Tuesday like it's going out of style. Yes. So come be Yay. friends. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to agree with Kayla. I I think you just should follow recipes. I mean, we all have our own personal stuff, obviously. Um, but I feel like we are really well represented in recipes and that's our dream. That's our baby. That's what we want you to focus on. Go ahead and like, if you want to like follow us too, you can, um, you'll get lots of dog photos across the board. Yeah. You can't do it until you follow recipes to take down the patriarchy. This is a, this is a baby that we're collectively birthing together and we're all focused on getting this, this baby, you know, to an adulthood and not, you know, can eat on its own instead of. That's a really this bad metaphor. This just got weird that, really that, fast. I'm sorry. That was a weird <laughs> metaphor. It's probably because I had a cocktail or two. Um, anyways, 
Yes, follow recipes. <laughs> that was such a weird metaphor. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. You guys couldn't see it, but we were literally holding our metaphorical stomachs as we were saying that. <laughs> There's a lot of weird stuff happening right now. Maggie, is there? Is your house okay? Uh, my husband is doing something with my dog, and it kind of sounds like the roof is just going to come down over my head. <laughs> uh, everything's fine. <laughs> Okay, well, I think that's it. Is there anything else anyone wants to say? I think we we touched on a lot. I just want to say thank you both so much. And thank you to everybody who's listening. First of all, if you've made it this far, that's amazing. And thank you for you two for just giving us a platform to talk about what we love. I have really enjoyed these last like 59 minutes. Just getting the opportunity to talk about something that you love is so freeing. And being able to vocalize it and sit here with Megan and drink cocktails, like this is my idea of a perfect Wednesday. And you two are just lovely. Thank you for giving us the platform. Thank you for caring. And we're so excited that you're part Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, ditto Kayla, what Kayla said. So that's one of her strengths as we talked about. We're a team. She's so good at making people feel good. And I feel like mm. she just did that to you guys. <laughs> and so I'm just going to say, I can't say it better than she can. Ditto, <laughs> quotation retweet. marks. Retweet, what Kayla said. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys both for coming on. Um, we're really excited for the cookbook. And uh we will be following it in some fashion, I think, for both of us. <laughs> and uh, everyone should follow. Everyone should follow recipes to take down the patriarchy because it's exciting and it's cool. And I can't wait to cook more mm. recipes because the biscuits with the apple butter, it was delicious. Um, yeah. So I think that's it for today. And I'm going to stop recording. Bye. Thank Bye. you, guys. Bye. Bye. You can follow us at Rebel Girls Book Club on Instagram, at Rebel Girls Book Club on Facebook, at Rebel Girls Book One on Twitter, and you can email us at rebelgirlsbookclub at gmail.com. Our theme song is called Pretty Boys Make Me Feel Ugly, and it's by The Days. See you soon, and remember to read rebelliously. Oh, all the